Welcome to Choosing Leadership and this is another episode of the Investor's Lens series with your host Somit Gupta. This series will look at leadership from the point of view of an investor or a VC. In each episode of this series we will explore what traits, behaviors or red flags investors see in their founders that they work with and how founders evolve over time as they grow and become better leaders. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to create organizations where people get to do the work of their lives. Together let us do our bit to create a world where all of us can show up as leaders. With that let us get started. Bryony Cooper is a startup enthusiast and a serial founder turned investor. He has led a few tech startups, a venture builder, an accelerator program and is now a managing partner at Arkley Brink VC. In the interview she shared her unique and creative background as a professional singer and how she found her way into the business world. We talk about how failure makes us learn much faster than success and how she has made her mark as a female leader in a male dominated startup and investor world. Hi Bryony and welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Hi Samit, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And to start with for our listeners can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do today Of course so my name is Brani Cooper these days I am managing partner of Arkley Brink VC which is a venture capital fund based in Poland for early stage tech startups but historically I have been a tech startup founder myself so I ran three tech companies by the age of 30 as CEO in between I also ran a venture builder program where we were helping other early stage startups to go from concept to commercialization and I've been running an accelerator program as well so I've had the full 360 view of the startup world. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Can you give us a bit more glimpse into that journey? So three startups by the age of 30 and then uh, being in Poland as an investor and also there are many other elements to you. So can yes. you give a bit more as like background to that? Sure. I think my journey since the beginning has been quite unconventional because I know that in my field it's very common for venture capitalists to come from a financial background or a consulting background, but I come from a very creative background in fact. So when I was younger, I trained as a professional singer and for 7 years that was my full-time career. Well, I say full-time, but a long time my studies, so I was at high school and then college and university studying creative writing and singing every weekend as a profession. So that's what I thought I wanted to do with my life and it wasn't until I got into my 20s I started getting an itch to go to the big city so I moved from the countryside into London and there I thought I need to get a grown-up job that will pay my London bills. <laughs> so that's when I got introduced into the business world and in my first role we were working with a company called the Business Club that was networking for SMEs so small to medium enterprises and I actually got to meet a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners at that in my early 20s. And after that I didn't really have any big ambitions to be the leader of a company but it just snowballed and one thing led to another so at one job I was working in London with a tech guy and we didn't really enjoy working for our boss so he said what if we start our own company doing the same kind of stuff which was web development and search engine optimization back then so we did and I was naturally a people person and he was more the tech guy so he said why don't you be the one that's managing our team and we built a small team of 10 people so That was my first experience of leadership when I was still very green, did not really know what I was doing. But from that company, the first idea for our startup was born and from that startup we got investment and everything else built from there. So, I transitioned to being a full-time entrepreneur around that point in my mid 20s. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you used some interesting words like unconventional 
and then just falling into leadership or entrepreneurship. But what is your definition of leadership? Because in a way, if I look at your career, what you described, for me, even that would be leadership. Yes, I think anybody who's in an executive role of a team so that you have a team to manage, you're doing leadership. So you don't have to be the CEO, but you could be you could be the CTO or even a product manager that's managing a team of developers. As long as you have people reporting to you that you're responsible for, then you're in leadership. So it can be anything from middle management up to, to the top level. And yeah, as I said, my first company, we had a team of 10. So, you know, I was responsible for about half of the team that was the creative and copywriting and editing side. And then my co-founder was more managing the tech team because he had those skills. Yeah, but eventually the biggest team that I've been part of in a leadership role grew up from 40 to 80 people. So I was not the top CEO there, but I was the CEO of the kind of spin-off venture and managing that with the two other partners of the company. So I've, I've had some really interesting insights into what happens when a company culture needs to be established early on enough, make mm -hmm. sure that the company values and ethics stay in place once that company really grows fast. And I think when you come to the tech startup world, you can grow very quickly. My first startup grew from the three co-founders to, I think we were 22 people at our largest. And it can happen so fast that you don't really have time to write the company handbook and establish how you want things to operate once you have multiple teams within your team. Yeah, so, so that's something I got some really interesting insights into and learned some lessons the hard way as well. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think is, the, is a good time for founders or entrepreneurs to start thinking about leadership or culture? So, and what have you learned from your own journey and what do you observe now in the companies that you invest in? I think it's very important to do this as early as possible. So as soon as you are ideating your startup, you have to think about all the different elements of the business. And that's why it's also important to have a broad skill set in the founders. Because I think what really was valuable in the skills that I brought to the team was that I was paired together with a CTO and a CPO. So the tech, the technology and the product was really covered. But what a lot of tech teams are missing, I think, is the person that has the business skills, the communication skills, because I need to take care of everything from sales and marketing to investor relations to managing the team itself. So having those interpersonal skills is very important. So by having that broad skill set, you can think about each aspect of the business. So yes, what features do we need to develop in the product? Who are the customers we're serving? What can make our company attractive to, to hire good talent? Because normally you can't afford to pay the higher salaries in a startup. So you need to sell them on the big vision. And that was my job. So I think by having that diverse skill set, you can each think about your area of the business and what it needs to grow into in the future. So right from the ideation stage, think about how big do we want to get? Do we want to be a global solution? Do we want to have customers all over the world? In that case, we're going to need to grow our team in the next few years to at least X number of employees. And what will be the company organizational structure? You know, are we going to have a head of marketing or a chief marketing officer? How many employees will they have under them? So you really need to map it out. And of course, a plan's a plan till there's a new plan. So it might not go exactly how you think it will, but you have to have that framework there from the very early stage so that you can grow organically and in the right direction that you want to. And the most important thing is having open communication with your co-founders or with any other management that you have in your team to make sure that you are shared in one vision of which direction you want the company to grow in, what kind of ethics and values you have, and also, you know, what is the purpose of your company and your vision? Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And as founders go through their journey, and as you very rightly said, a plan is only a plan until it fails. Yes. And both success and failure, I think, sometimes can be unexpected, especially in that early stage. And what, how do you advise founders right now 
to deal with that because what I have seen in my work like with many entrepreneurs is sometimes that success can be more challenging or success can like trip people up more than the failure. So I want to hear your opinion on success and failure when it comes to the founders or the founding team's leadership. Yes. Well, I think one thing is failing makes you learn much faster <laughs> because when everything's going smooth sailing, it's sometimes hard to know whether it's through your meticulous planning or whether it's through good luck. You know, because sometimes there are things that you can plan for, but there are other things that are unpredictable. Like just looking at the world in the last couple of years, nobody had planned for a global pandemic. Nobody had planned for the war in Ukraine and they have massive impacts on the global economy. So you can do as much planning as possible, but there's still factors that you don't have any control over. And a lot of startups, unfortunately, if especially, for example, let's say the hospitality sector during the pandemic had to go out of business because suddenly people were not able to eat or go out in public anymore, which was unforeseeable. So yeah, I suppose failing helps you learn lessons that you can implement on your next go. And that's the reason why in our venture capital fund, we actually really prefer experienced founders, even if they've had failed companies in their past, rather than first-time founders. Because by failing, you learn not to make the same mistakes again. And it's just experience. So that's why I'm a big fan of things like FailCon, where people go and share their stories. Because it's been really interesting where I've lived and worked in different countries where there's a very different attitude to failure as well. So in, in Germany, in Berlin, uh, it's quite a developed startup scene that's been going for quite a long time. So I think people are pretty open, more San Francisco style about, yeah, let's all talk about our failures and learn from them. And people even wear them as a badge of pride. I've lived a life, I've had experience. But when I went to Bahrain in the Middle East, where the startup ecosystem was still quite nascent, failing was much less acceptable because it can bring shame to your family. And everyone previously in the family has worked in a large corporation or in a bank or in a very secure job role. So this whole concept of starting your own business and it not working out was almost unheard of. Yeah, so that's been a really interesting perspective. And on the other side of the coin, success, again, it's something that if you haven't done it before, it, you, you can't really prepare for it. To suddenly take my own experience, for example, as a young woman still in her 20s and with very little business experience, to suddenly be given millions of euros that you're responsible for um, that you're expected to make a return on the investment for your investors. And then you're also given the lives and the livelihoods of your employees. My co-founder had two small children and the wife stayed at home with the children. So if we didn't make enough money to pay the salaries on time that month, then he doesn't have enough money to support his family. And that kind of responsibility is a very, you know, the saying, heavy is the head that wears the crown. So of course, you don't have kings and queens in your company, but you do have the responsibility for the rest of the employees. And that's something that the more successful you get, the more customers you have a responsibility to, the more money you need to manage. So you have to keep that in mind as well. It is also a burden. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And as you shared your own journey, right, as a, as a young woman, and especially as a woman also, I think that presents its own unique set of challenges. How have your view, your confidence about yourself grown or changed over the years? And then how do you take it forward? Uh, it has changed vastly. So I think on the one hand, I'm really glad that I had the background as a professional singer because that taught me to present in a confident way, even if I wasn't feeling confident on the inside. But on the inside, I had a lot of imposter syndrome in the early years because first of all, I felt completely out of my depth because I suddenly work in industries that I wasn't familiar with. And I also have a tendency to work in industries that are heavily male predominated. predominated. So first of all, my, my first startup was in the taxi and transportation field. 
And then I was going in IoT and hardware. So hmm. yeah, <laughs> I was always very much the minority in those fields. And I feel like I felt like I had to work harder to prove myself and to prove my worth. And it's not easy when you go into a conference room and there's a round table with 20 men and you're the only woman and you also happen to be 20 years younger than any of them. So I do feel like I, I did have to really earn the respect, maybe more so than a man would have had to do. That also motivated me to deep dive really into my industry to make sure that I would become the expert so that no one could question me. And that did work. And of course, it's not quite fair that maybe a man would not have to do the same, but that was the world I was living in. And honestly, I did experience quite a bit of sexism. I would say the more su on the subtle end of sexism, just of, for example, one of our clients accused me of being an actress hired to play the CEO in a video just because I was good at presenting. And he thought, well, she, she can't be the real CEO. And I was like, excuse me, sir, I actually am. So I think it's just assumptions or many times people accidentally assumed I was the receptionist or the secretary when they came to the office. Even after I'd shake their hand and introduced myself and they'd seen my name on emails. And I think because I have an unusual name, some people don't realize that Bryony is a woman's name. So even if we've been emailing, they still assumed I was a man. So yeah, sometimes you do have to realign their expectations a bit. Yeah. And how do you do that without losing your sense of balance or composure? Because I also know that can totally take you off your game. Like what you shared, it's not trivial. It's huge. Yeah. Somebody mistaking you for the reception, it can be a huge shock. Yes. How do you, how have you learned to retain your balance and then also respond and also stand up for yourself? Well, first of all, as a woman, you grow up in a society that is patriarchal. So we've had many years of experience before even entering the workplace of people underestimating you, people making assumptions about you, people judging you based on what you're wearing or how you speak. So I would say on the one hand, just growing up in society has taught me to adapt to my environment, which is a good evolutionary skill in the first place, but it applies very much to the workplace as well. So I still do today. When I moved to Bahrain, of course, I needed to dress in a way that was respectful to the local culture. So I did that so I could integrate because only by integrating could I do my job well of planning events and networking and getting to know the local community. Yeah. So I think there is a certain element of that adapting to your environment and that there's more, more adapting that needs to be done for women, but also just like knowing your own boundaries. And it starts to sound a, a little bit, I don't know. Uh, like self-help books if you preach too much, but there is actually a lot to be said for knowing your own worth and believing in yourself and carrying that inner confidence. Because when you walk into a room with confidence, then people will pay attention. And that's something that I was able to fake it till you make it at the beginning because I had practiced the confidence on stage. But by now I have it inside because I know that in the 15 years of my career in the startup ecosystem, I have proven my worth time and time again. So now I can walk into a room and command that confidence authentically. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you mentioned something important about self-worth. And I just want to add that to not mixing it up with your title or with your success, material success. And to keep it right that even if the startup fails or even if my project fails, I still retain that self-worth and it's not mixed together. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And as you, yeah, go on. Yeah, I think it's really important. As you said, many people will, if you join a new organization with little experience, you'll need to start at the bottom and work your way up. So it doesn't matter whether you are an intern or whether you're the CEO, you can always do the best job you possibly can. And knowing your self-worth just comes from at the end of the day, have I done my best? Did I do a good job? Have I learned? Did I grow? And these are the things you should ask yourself rather than don't worry about how much you're being paid right now. 
but it's good to, to have objectives and goals that are realistic, but just also be realistic about where you are today. Because I didn't get here overnight, like 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned about your like professionals in your career and also how that taught you to be on stage. What advice would you give to somebody in terms of confidence who is struggling from that side? So how much can they like fake it till they make it or when they should be like really be open and vulnerable? How would you draw that balance? So I think it's really important to practice. So I think a lot of people haven't had any stage experience or most people have not. So if you are the CEO or the person who's going to be responsible for pitching to investors or for presenting your custom, your company to customers, do go to pitch days and demo days and apply to these competitions at conferences so that you can go out there and practice. Do practice in front of the mirror. Do practice by recording your voice into your phone because then you can listen back and you can think, am I speaking too fast or too slowly or am I loud enough? Am I articulating my words? So that kind of, first of all, you can... You can practice on yourself if you're very shy, and then maybe you can practice in front of a family member or a roommate to get some other feedback. So it really is about practice make perfect. And specifically when it comes to pitching, I think it never sounds good if you rehearse everything word for word, because then it sounds very wooden. You can end up sounding like a robot that's reading from an ad script. It's better to just know your value proposition inside out and perhaps have a few bullet points that you're going to follow, but really tell the story. Everything in communications and marketing these days is about storytelling. And you want to get the audience to put themselves in your shoes or in the potential customer's shoes. So it's really practicing the storytelling element as well. And I do think using the creative arts can be a great way to access that. So even just for fun, try doing a theater class or try doing some acting or singing or dancing class that will just help you get a bit more loose in your body. And you'll find there are so many transferable skills that you can bring from that into your presentations. And of course, if you want to go even further, there are plenty of fantastic coaches that can train you in public speaking and in pitching and communication skills, if you have the budget for that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. What I love is that I asked you about confidence and you started with practice. And a lot of people see confidence as either something I have or do not have, but it's good to introduce the notion of practice because then there is something which I can do about it. Absolutely. And, uh, once, once you feel like what you're going to say very well, you will have the confidence following naturally. But also, I think it's worth noting that there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. And sometimes, and you sometimes see it with the gender difference. It's very rare for me to find a female founder who comes across as arrogant. It's almost never happened. Whereas sometimes with men, especially, for example, if they come from the US where everything is just more big and loud and confident, sometimes people are overselling it. And in the end, I think, is this really authentic? And it sometimes it can be a bit transparent. So I think know when to still be humble, especially when you're asking an investor for money or you're asking someone to give something to you. I think humility is also just as important. So yes, be confident, but also be authentic and be transparent about the challenges in your business or where you need support. Because I think some people try to overcompensate and maybe act a bit too confident to the point where it comes off mm -hmm. as arrogant. Yeah. Thank you for adding that element. And you mentioned about creative arts earlier. So how does, so you have shared about your experience, but I would like to know a little bit more what role or what benefit do you still derive from that? And then when you meet founders, especially when I meet founders, many times they are so busy that they do not even time have time for their health, leave yes. alone something else. So how do you advocate for doing something creative? Uh, especially if somebody is coming from a very technical background, they mm. do not have that like creative urge so can you share a bit on your perspective and then what do you advise with the people that you work with? Yeah. 
Well, first of all, as you mentioned, everyone is different. We have the left and the right side of the brain. Some people are stronger in one than the other. So not everyone is, is drawn to the creative side. I think it's still good to get yourself outside your comfort zone to practice. But for me, creativity is an outlet and I need this. It's cathartic. So if I've been working 24-7, I just want to go and sing a song with my band and I will feel full of joy and it replenishes my energy. Now that does not apply to everybody. That's me personally. But other people might find it through other creative pursuits like painting can be very relaxing and cathartic just to turn your mind off occasionally or through writing, creative writing. There are many things you can do. Of course, exercise and sport is fantastic as well for your mental health as well as your physical health. And as you mentioned, finding work-life balance. I know some people say oh, there's no such thing as work-life balance. If you run a startup, you have to work around the clock. As somebody who has burned out really hardcore, I can tell you that you are useless to anybody. If you burn out, then you are not able to be productive anymore. You can't motivate and inspire your team anymore because you have nothing left to give. You have no more energy to put into your company. So it is really important to carve out time for yourself, for your mental health, to practice self-care. I personally find meditation really helpful just to refocus. And then I will go into the day and I know I'll be more productive, more present, more engaged. Yeah, so this is really important. And you asked as well about what kind of skills I brought over from that previous career as a professional yeah. singer. So many. So first of all, the most obvious one is the public speaking, the presentation skills, the standing on stage, being able to articulate and enunciate and project my voice. That's the obvious side, but it actually goes much further than that. So anything to do with communications in terms of one-to-one -one communications with your team members or communications with your customers and your clients and your business partners, your distributors, and then your investor relations. It's helped me significantly with all of this. So my startup, we raised money on our first ever pitch. And that I put the credit to the fact that I knew how to present the product well on stage. Because most of the other companies that were pitching in this contest were first-time founders, all men, all from a tech background, and didn't have any experience in holding a microphone and speaking to an audience. Yeah, so I do credit it to that. And then on top of that, because I study creative writing at university, of course, writing is helpful in every medium. So whenever I write an email that I want it to sound professional, but I want to be able to choose whether I want a friendly tone to a colleague or whether I want a very formal tone to a, a large client. Yeah. And also I took care of all of the marketing communications, the PR. So having good writing skills and being able to write eloquently and professionally is really a great skill for anyone in leadership to have because your communications need to sound professional and yeah, you want to come across as sounding like the experts in your field as well, so that people yeah. have trust in you. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. And I think apart from what you're sharing, what you shared earlier about also moving your body, I think even that is visible now, even in our conversation, how you are being a little bit flexible. And mm. many times when I'm talking to founders or leaders, they're very rigid. They're very yes. stiff in their physical bodies. And then that has an impact in their relationships and their trust. So can you yeah. add... Maybe an element to that, like the very physical part and uh, of us as human beings and what role does it play in our leadership? Yes. I wish I could remember the statistics, but we'd have to look it up afterwards of how the importance of body language, how much are we actually communicating through our bodies and not through our words? And it's a very high percentage. Of course, it is important when you're on stage and pitching. This is something else that you really need to practice and do it in front of the mirror and film yourself and look back because some people will just stay far too still. And other people will continually pace back and forth and back and forth, which is very distracting. So you need to find something in the middle and something where you seem more loose and flexible 
Because again, you're trying to get people to trust you and to believe in what you are, the vision that you are selling. And people that look relaxed and confident are much more believable than people that are very nervous or have their hands in their pockets and looking at the floor. Yeah, so it's your confidence and your belief in your product or service offering that people are buying into, mm-hmm. investors are investing in. And they're investing in you as the founders and not just the company and the product. So again, they're looking for, is this the right kind of personality or character who will be able to execute on their vision? So when I'm looking at founders, we are looking at all of these things as well. And it has been a bit more difficult in the pandemic because, of course, we couldn't do as many face-to-face meetings and we have to do a lot more online. But as you can see from me now, you can still see a certain amount of personality coming through over the screen. So again, if you're not comfortable in your body or up in front of people, I really recommend doing something like an acting class just to, yeah, or a dance class even, uh, just learn the different ways that you can loosen up your body. And also something else interesting to look at is power poses which is really good for women, especially when if they're going into a room full of men and they're feeling a bit intimidated. But if you look it up online, I think her name's Amy Cook, who did a TED talk about this. And there are certain poses that you can just do for a few minutes, which normally involves making yourself very big and putting your arms up and it tricks your brain into feeling like, yes, I've got this. So it's something else that you can do just before you go onto stage or into a big meeting to, yeah, get yourself ready. Yeah, thank you for adding that. I think one of my biggest learnings has been that like beyond my brain, I am I also have a body and which is a part of who I am. And mm. many times when I'm trying to be focused and I'm simply laid back and relaxed, the focus will not come there. If I'm trying to be empathetic and caring and I'm very focused, even that will not have an impact. So being mindful of your own body more than the body language, but also being able to flex it authentically. And as you mentioned, the moving your body into different postures can actually allow you to build more trust, appear more confident and so on. Absolutely. Yeah. I think of it as warming up before a workout. You don't want to pull a muscle, right? So you have to do the warm up stretches. It's the same thing for singing. You have to do some exercises to warm up your voice before you belt out a really difficult number. Yeah. So it's the same before you go into any big business meeting, something that's going to get your heart racing and your body needs some sort of preparation. Yes. Yeah. So I do recommend that. But it's something we look for, like qualities in founders. I've always tried to look for EQ over IQ. So we're looking Mm -hmm. for emotional intelligence because IQ, of course, yes, we want them to be smart and intelligent, but you need to have some kind of interpersonal skills to be able to connect with your team to be a good leader. And yeah, you need to basically inspire loyalty and commitment in your team. I think, yeah, having this strong EQ is not something that comes easily or naturally to everybody. But again, it is something that you can work on and develop. But I think it's important to recognize your own weaknesses or recognize the areas where you could benefit from some development. And if you struggle in that space, then do get some mentorship or get some training to become the best manager and the best leader that you can be. Yeah. And coming back to you, right, if they were to zoom out and see these different aspects or segments of your life. Can you share a bit about the future? What is your vision now? Where do you think are you headed next? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about recently, actually, because I've been with my current venture capital fund for four years and we have a five-year investment period. So now we're in the last year of investing. So by the end of this year, we will have invested into every new company that we will. Um, And then, of course, we have another period where we're waiting for exits or IPOs or mergers and acquisitions. So this is a very exciting time for me. As my first fund, I'm going to be seeing my first exits, fingers crossed. (laughs) But what I want to do next is I've learned over the recent years what I really am passionate about when it comes to investing. And what I want to do is invest into climate tech and environmental sustainability. 
because using technology to make the world a better place is absolutely necessary. And it's also a shrewd business decision because, of course, there are all these EU incentives and initiatives where companies and businesses and organizations are required to meet certain targets and they're not currently on track to meet them. So they are looking for innovation and technology to help them achieve those targets. So that's the area that I want to invest in. So I need to decide, am I going to join an existing fund as a partner or am I going to set up my own fund and bring some new LPs on board? So that's something that is yet to be seen in the next year or two, but definitely my focus area. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And as you do so, I think it's a good business decision. Everybody knows that. But yet at the same time, a lot of the world is still running like it used to run 50 years ago. So what do you see are some of the biggest challenges that either you will face or the leaders of today will face as we like get more head on with climate change? Unfortunately, everybody is still driven by money. So I think any industries where there's huge lobbies, so like looking at oil, for example, or yeah, the energy sector, I think is really difficult to convince because even though there are very clear advantages to different types of renewable energies, there's also very clear financial advantages to staying the way things are. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges to be faced. But also anything where society is required to change their behavior is always difficult. So we might say one thing, but do another. So we say, oh, yes, I really care about the environment. So I'm only going to buy eco organic products. But then you see there's a much cheaper product from a cheap brand and you end up buying that one. So your actions and your behaviors don't actually match what you think your values are. Yeah, so I I think that's also a challenge. Some things, some innovations, they sound fantastic, but you also have to be realistic about whether or not the world is ready for it. Yeah. And what would you say in terms of leadership here? Because we are living in an economic world, and I think that's not a broken system. Capitalism is a system which works. Yet at the same time, if we are driven by that, if we are driven by profits, that can lead us to make decisions which are not useful in the short term. And I think that's an element of leadership here, that there's something more important. Even though we are living in an economic world, I am here for something else. So how do you navigate that or what would be your message uh, for others? So I think there's really the sweet spot that I'm looking at, which is still investing in for-profit businesses, but that also are making the world a better place. So on the one hand, you do have NGOs and you have also impact investing. And it's fantastic that they exist, but it's not an area where I have much experience. And I think there's a whole world of challenges that come with them. But I'm in the middle, so I still want to invest in companies that will turn a profit. So they're still going to be financially viable and sustainable. Uh, But I think we also have to reevaluate our expectations in terms of growth of startups, because we've already seen a bubble burst, right? Mm -hmm. In the news over the last year of kind of Series B plus startups dropping by 80% valuation because of the economic crisis globally. But I think that was bound to happen for some reason or another anyway, because especially coming out of Silicon Valley, the valuations had become ridiculously huge, like multiple multiple trillions. It was never going to last. So I think we need to reevaluate our expectations of how big a startup can realistically grow. Rather than aiming for unicorns all the time, we need to maybe just think about a healthy, growing, sustainable company. Yeah, so I think that's the area that I want to look in and... It's something that you have to agree with your LPs up front because when limited partners are investing into your fund, you need to be on the same page with them about what financial returns are realistic. And I think we have to reset everything based on the current status of the world and about the the current targets globally and in Europe for the climate to to find a balance and find the sweet spot of what's realistic, what's achievable and what's what are the goals. Yeah. So before we wrap up, what gives you the most satisfaction at the end of the day? 
And also, what do you observe for the founders that you work with? Because the outside world has a perception of founders, which is, I found sometimes very different from the real experience. So what have you found that gives the founders the most satisfaction at the end of the day? I think seeing a real impact from your offering is what gives the most satisfaction. For me personally, I get more satisfaction out of the pro bono work I do than the paid work, which is mentoring women founders and especially first-time founders, because I'm able to help them to avoid some of the pitfalls through my own mistakes and through my own experiences. So I get a lot of satisfaction out of that, but they get a lot of satisfaction out of seeing their products or services in the hands of users and mm. seeing them actually make a difference to people's lives. Whether you're doing food tech or med tech or energy or environmental tech, if you can see your product actually getting out into the real world and making a difference to even just one person, there's no feeling that can beat that. So if you get a customer testimonial telling you that your product or your service has made their life better, I think that's, you've already won. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that side also, because many times we do not make it important, right? The pro bono work or the volunteer work sometimes that we do. But uh, many times, so many times, that is what fills our soul and that fills or that allows us to lead better in other areas. So thank you Definitely. for uh, adding that element. And before we end, uh, what if anybody wants to reach out and find out more about everything that you are up to? What is the best way for them to do so? I would say two ways. First of all, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can find my profile, Bryony Cooper. And also I have my own website, bryanycooper.com. So it definitely needs an update, but so you can reach me either of those ways. Thank you. Thank you, Bryony, for everything that you have shared today, for being who you are. And I will make sure that I will include the links to your website and your LinkedIn profile with the show notes. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me, Sumit. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. This is what I do most naturally. To lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. If you like the sound of it, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs ups, ratings and reviews mean a lot to me and my team. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit and until next time, keep choosing leadership.